Hey, Josh Felber here. Today's episode, if you're an e-commerce store or if you're on Amazon as an e-commerce store or maybe you're trying to get onto walmart.com, today's guest is going to have to watch, check this episode out. Will Basta, he runs a company that helps other brands, other people, just like the average, average everyday person like you and I, build their brand on Amazon. He helps them source the products, get the discounts, and start to be able to play in that marketplace. So if you've ever thought about it, wanted to have your own passive income business and start generating some side revenue, got to check out today's episode. He's going to drop some amazing tips if you're already an Amazon seller, as well as help you figure out how to get on Amazon and how to grow your store. So check out today's episode with Will Basta on the Making Bank. Hey guys, and if you've liked any of these episodes, today's episode, previous episodes, make sure to share, like and share this, comment down below what you loved about the episode, and let your friends and family know about that. Find an episode that you think that'll create impact in their life and help them uh, with what they have, uh, where they are right now. Uh, and thank you for tuning in to Making Bank. You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Super excited for today's guest. Just landed in Copenhagen, Denmark, <laughs> ran straight here to jump on the show, even though he's a whole few continents away. <laughs> yeah, nighttime here, as you can see. <laughs> you guys going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, rainy. <laughs> Will, uh, Will Basta was born in New York, and he graduated from Arizona State University. He had an initial career in health tech, and then he went on to work for some tech startups, building out sales strategy and marketing teams. And then he found his passion as an entrepreneur in the world of passive income. So he's built a huge company just within two years in business, generated in the e-com side of the growth, all in one, wholesale distribution, logistics, all sides of how to grow a company. Will is our ideal entrepreneur to figure out how, we, how, how you're going to do that and how I'm going to do that. So I'm excited to welcome Will Basta to Making Bank today. Hey, man, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. For sure, man. Welcome to the show. Um, guess, guess, get a little background. You started in kind of the tech space after college. What kind of really got you, what's that, what was that passion or what was that bug or something that pulled you into entrepreneurship? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, for, for being a, a W-2 employee in the tech side of things, you know, when, you're, when you're working for a very small startup, I'm not saying it is you know, you're not an entrepreneur at all, but you get that kind of feeling of wearing a bunch of hats because mm -hmm. the company's growing so fast, it's constantly evolving. And that was always sort of intriguing to me. I really liked being part of something in its early stage and being able to look back six months, one year, year and a half down the line and be like, wow, look where it was when I started, look where it is now. And I had an integral part of that growth. So in terms of minus the industry, because I, I did have a passion for healthcare for a little bit, that was something <laughs> that really sort of, I think, led me into, you know, that really that, that entrepreneurial kind of bug that I have today. Um, on the side, I was always sort of investing in sort of small projects with the, 
the finance, you know, where I could do things financially at that point, you know, whether it's a little bit of investment in starting my own Shopify store or just small things on the, I'd like to call it micro entrepreneurial kind of sure. investing. And, you know, so I was involved in, in Amazon sort of slightly on the early side, but not, not really, you know, <laughs> as in deep as I am right now, but got to sort of feel out what the platforms like had plenty of failures on that side, plenty of failures are trying to start, you know, sort of different brands and stuff like that, especially when you have little capital on that side. But, you know, as that sort of progressed down the line, you know, let's say around five, six years into sort of slightly doing this on the side and starting a digital market agency. And I said, some successes, some failures here and there, still investing on the side. I actually, my business partner and I were invested in, I guess you can call them, I'm not gonna say names, but a competitor. I wouldn't really say they're competitor right now, but on the surface, an automation company, a company okay. that has that done for you kind of service model. Right. Cause it seems beautiful when you hear about it, right? But <laughs> yeah. we uncovered real quickly that a lot of these companies are just insufficient. They weren't really effectively, you know, you know, in terms of the business model, it was beautiful because, Hey, you have a profit split with a company, you invest money, they do it all for you. You can sit back and let, let it run. But, a lot of them were ineffective and, and everything from operations to not really having a real infrastructure to we were mm. just ingrained in it and just seeing all these inefficiencies and and my business partner's background and my background you know light bulb just went on and said hey like why why don't we just do this right <laughs> do it ourselves and really legitimize legitimize the industry because right now automation does not have a good doesn't put a good taste in people's mouth you know there's there's historically just bad players in the game and so we wanted to change that and so in doing so, about two and a half years ago, two years and eight months ago, we sort of started at a small scale. I was double dipping because I was still working for another company. And um, we knew we had something, but we didn't know it was going to go get to the degree that it got to. Mm. Uh, and about, you know, I'd say about a year in, we pumped marketing a lot more once we really proved out our business model. And essentially what we did is we really brought in just real infrastructure and ethics into the actual process and really flipped the script on how to approach this kind of business of what you call automation. Um, and when I say that, I mean, not outsourcing any part of our processes, really getting a brick and mortar infrastructure in place, doing right by our customers, no matter what the situation is, uh, and really figuring out the kinks in the industry and refining that. And that obviously, you know, in terms of how we did that and how we approached that and not really rushing and not putting just revenue first and really putting pumping money back into the business, after about nine months of patience and then really going full force on that and in a lot of organic growth, you know, we sort of knew we had something special and cut two or, you know, 400 plus clients. Now we've got two warehouse facilities in Dallas, millions of revenue for our clients, uh, an office in, in Los Angeles. We're fully doors open. Everyone can always visit us. They can see the operation hands on. Everything's exclusive with our company. Um, we don't do layers of outsourcing and we've had a lot of success so far. And, and I attribute a lot of it to sort of how we, we're patient in that build-up process. And just so, um, you know, people listening, you know, we have a lot of people that have e-com businesses and things. Some are on Amazon, some are Shopify, things like that. So what are people normally doing on Amazon? And then what would an automation provider do like what you guys do? Yeah, sorry, I didn't really explain the... No, that's okay. I <laughs> that everyone knows what automation is. But at the end of the day, it's... The way you can really look at it is you have millions of sellers on Amazon's platform. We also work on Walmart as well. And, and, you know, those sellers have all different backgrounds. They could be doing it on the side, but they could be doing it out of their garage. They could be doing FBA, FBM. Most sure. of the time there is the commonality between all of our clients is they don't really have time. And they know there's a, there's a ceiling and scalability if they don't have the right infrastructure 
in place, the right data, the, the manpower, et cetera. And so what automation essentially is, it's putting the workload and the infrastructure on us and letting us leverage your capital for your business on behalf of you and leveraging our infrastructure to build out your business and scale it to a degree that accelerates you into the ecosystem of Amazon and makes you extremely competitive. Um, being the fact that you are leveraging 30,000 two square houses, cumulatively about 30,000 square feet, you know, a team of hundreds of employees, both in the States and abroad, et cetera, and years and years of experience and not having to take time out of your day to really do it. So the scalability factor is, you know, you don't have that ceiling. And so we handle everything essentially from building out the store, operating it, sourcing the products, sending them to our warehouse, prepping the products before we send them to Amazon, if they do FBA or directly sending them to clients, because we do a little bit of both and handling it all internally and not outsourcing it to a third party logistics center. It's all done in house. So that helps us not slice into margins for clients and mm. keeps it sort of cohesive. Um, and that's something that's extremely unique about, unique about us as a automation provider is the fact that we really are a true logistics company and a wholesale distributor as well. And that's layered into our, our automation services, which um, at the end of the day, you know, as a trickle down effect to the quality outcome of the client's actual business. And we build these businesses out in a manner where you don't have to sell your business, but we want to make sure that this is looked at as not just a passive income opportunity, but also we're building a true digital asset because e-commerce is, is more than just, Hey, you can make some passive income quickly here and there. These are assets. And if you do them the right way and you build them out the right way with wholesale contracts, private label, true management services behind it, they can gain a lot of value over time. And right now, I love to state this fact because to me, it's so intriguing that the retail market in the U.S. is only 16% of uh, e the e-commerce market is only 16% of the retail market in the U.S. right now. And mm, NASDAQ yeah. is going to be 95% by 2040. So that says everything right there, in my opinion. So if I wanted to have my own business on Amazon or Walmart, like you mentioned, but didn't have, maybe didn't have the team and the infrastructure and stuff to do it all, but I had an idea on what type of products and things I was getting going, you guys kind of then handle all those pieces for me of the products and fulfillment or sending to FBA and managing the Amazon listings and growing it and the ads and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, and okay. you know, we have clients that are school teachers who just know of Amazon from buying stuff and that <laughs> there's people that are, they've had previous experiences with other providers and they came to us because they had a poor experience or they've realized they can't do it themselves anymore, or they have a successful brand, but they don't have enough time to put into it and they want to expand upon it. So we have clients from all different backgrounds, both experience and non-experience with Amazon. But like I said before, that commonality is at the end of the day, they don't really have time to do it. Mm -hmm. And they want to trust a partner that is, yeah, not only experienced in it, but really has a real infrastructure in place that can bring them to the next level. And on top of that, that they can trust uh, and really, you know, can expand their portfolio in terms of that. And so, yeah, you can come in blindly and say, hey, I want to be involved in Amazon. I want to be involved in e-commerce, trillion dollar industry in the US. How do I get involved? But I don't have time. I just have the capital that's sitting there. And we all know that Josh, we all know it's better to make your money work for you than let it sit in the bank, right? And so, right, yeah. <laughs> it, especially, you know, and so alternative investments are important right now. And this is one of those ones outside of your your regular stocks and real estate that is booming and has a lot of growth. And so people, they toss an upfront uh, fee to us one time and we then leverage their working capital and we build, operate, source the entire thing. And we essentially work off a performance-based partnership where we only, after that, our fees are based off the net profit we make for our actual clients on their store, mm -hmm. true net profit. 
not revenue. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously, with Amazon, by the t- a lot of times by the t- by the time you're done, you got like thirty to forty something per you know percent off the top that you know between ads and fulfillment. Yeah, I, exactly. And if we're doing private label, there are ads involved, but generally we don't do ads with whole, obviously wholesale and everything like that. We find all ways to organically even sell. But yeah, Amazon's ad surcharge fees here and there. And when we tell our, when we say what our margins are going to be for our clients, profit margins, those are true profit margins. Mm. So it's incorporating. And like I said, I mean, if you're a lot of these clients that come to us that are already experienced, they're there, they are using, they might have a good business that's doing well on Amazon. Right. But with, the fuel costs and the added surcharges that Amazon's thrown in there and just logistics and supply chain in the U.S. and everything that's just inf- you know, inflation right now and all sure. of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the negative effects of actually using a third-party warehouse is becoming more and more apparent, like a 3PL mm-hmm. logistics center. And that's somewhere where you would buy products at wholesale, sent to that warehouse, which is used, used by you know, 100 other clients. So there's zero prioritization of those products going to Amazon's warehouse or to the end client. And then they're charging two, three dollars per package to prep it, right? And that actually ends up really, really making a huge difference, especially with the current state right now. And so we're not charging that. And that's why there's that benefit here. When you partner with us, only Ascend clients are leveraging only Ascend warehouse. And we're not charging $2 per package. And we're wrapping everything into one cost underneath that. And you're not getting these nickel and dime costs that are just slicing into margins and turning an Amazon product that had a 20% margin into a 6% margin. Right. Day, when you're doing all this work, then where's the where's the real ROI? Especially if you're doing it yourself. For sure, time, yeah. I think is a huge currency too. So it's like, but what? Um, obviously, you guys have a ton of data working with all these different companies and everything. What's what kind of best practices and and um, strategies are you guys seeing or using? You know, to as you launch on Amazon or maybe you've already on Amazon, but you're launching a you know, a new SKU. Um, what are you guys seeing that's really working well right now? Yeah, so there's. I wish I had my one of my directors out who does product research because <laughs> they, they could probably answer this a lot more in depth. <laughs> but but I will I will give you sort of a. It's sort of a high level of, of how we sort of, and there's way more than this. There's a lot more layers to this, but how we source products and what we look at in terms of why we're picking certain products, there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, you can have the seasonal data. Okay. What's selling certain times of the year, which, and it's a pretty easy way to sort of look into that when the weather gets warm, outdoor stuff, essentially stuff like that, patio furniture or whatever. You have predictive data that's based off just historical data in general, what is trending at the moment. So there is mm. slight risk involved in some of those guesses here and there, but we mitigate that out with stuff that we know is selling really well. And on the back end of all of that, we're also looking at just the Amazon data. What competitor, what's the competitor landscape look like? What are their inventory levels look like? What is the health of their store? What kind of reviews do they have? You know, Amazon has all these algorithms on the back that can premiere a product and get it premiered based on what it's, what, what you're selling against essentially. So a lot of these factors sort of play into why we're sourcing a product and also Obviously, the most obvious one is what can we source it at cost-wise? Because we're doing uh, wholesaling here. Sure. These are brand-name products. So a lot of times what we can do as a company is we'll leverage our massive credit up front. And as a send distribution under our umbrella, we'll spend like last month, again, we're, we're big on buying toys because toys do really, really well on Amazon. We'll buy them in massive bulk. So volume quantity discounts are huge. Spend a half a million dollars on toys, but we're <laughs> spending the money, Right. Yeah. And then the client purchases it from us at cost, not uh, half a million dollars worth of toys, but one of those SKUs will go to one right. client, let's say, like $2,000 worth of toys, but they're getting a volume discount that's as if they'd spent $500,000 from a wholesaler. 
And so that's another unique thing that brings us to the table is client doesn't have to throw a million dollars on the table per month. They're getting the effects as if they were doing that, but they're only getting one or two SKUs out of that, that we're actually putting our, we're leveraging our capital up front with wholesalers that we actually have relationships with as a distributor. And so that's, gotcha. that's another factor there. And so we can really undercut a lot of competitors out there. There might be four people selling that product, but if we can get it at way less per unit, at the end of the day, you're selling it. They're not going to want to sell it if they're not going to make money on it that way. And so you just undercut them. That's, that's one of the best ways when we can find that opportunity. That's huge. That's a, that's a big opportunity right there for our clients on price variation. For sure. What um, do you guys have a, a run into like similar or like companies that come to you and then let's just say you have five different companies, but then they're all selling the same toy. <laughs> hey, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, there, you have, it's funny because like you have toys that are very, very similar. Sure. Game, right. And at the end of the day, we, you know, that question actually almost leads us up in that. I feel like you might even ask next. That's more internal on the client side. Like, hey, do you sell do you sell the same stuff or the same toys on all your clients' store? That's always a question we get from clients when they're interested or prospective right. clients is cannibalization, right? And no, we do not. Yeah, <laughs> one client might have the brown shoe, the other client might have the black shoe. Right? Gotcha. You might get as close as that, but we're not going to be selling. It does not benefit anyone to do that in the first place. And there right. are hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of millions of SKUs on Amazon and a lot of opportunity there. And it's yes, it's saturated, but if you look at the competitor landscape, let's say there's three and a half million US sellers on Amazon, and that number always sort of fluctuates. No one knows the exact amount. I read yeah. 2.9 million, I read 3.9 million, just say three and a half. You can easily cut that down to one third that are actually really competitive mm-hmm. to us and our clients, because a lot of those are active users that are selling one product or have sold one product or never even sold the product. Maybe they still had one sell, right? And that makes them an active seller. And then they're, they're part of that, that actual three and a half million. And then you have the people selling out of their garage. Then you have the people that are leveraging, that are doing drop shipping, which is against terms of service or doing it in a non-compliant way. So they're not going to have a long run. They're going to be shut uh. down. And so, and then you have the ones that are just strictly niche. We have clients who come to us that sell only one thing and they want to expand their portfolio or expand their, their selling catalog. And so my point is, I can, there's a laundry list of things that sort of slice down the competitive landscape and make right. it only five to 700,000 after your year in with us of who we're really selling against. Uh, and that's something people need to realize when they look at the saturation aspect of Amazon. Yes, it's saturated. But when you have a right infrastructure in place and the right p- pieces of the puzzle in place, it becomes less and less saturated because all the other competitors essentially will just fall by the wayside because they can't keep up. And, and that's, that's something that you get with us is you get accelerated in that ecosystem and you get put into sort of that top, top 1 million sellers in under a year in terms of what you can compete against and how you can sell on the platform. Yeah. And it's what, so what, like right now, I think for 2022, maybe going into 2023, what are you guys seeing as like your highest growth categories or biggest movers? Uh, recently, a lot of the stuff recently, and this is also, this is definitely, I'd say sort of a drift off the pandemic. I know we're done with the pandemic now, but as you are well aware, the hospitality industry is, is booming right now. Right. It's, all across the US, all across the world, et cetera. What that means is a lot of these restaurants, I hate, I hate to give this secret away, but it's not, <laughs> not everyone has access to these wholesalers that we have. So I can, I can let this podcast know and you guys can go try and sell these products too. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of these restaurants are the 
these wholesalers are running out of hospitality, like plastic forks, takeaway stuff, mm. all that kind of stuff, right? And they only had one distributor for that. And they're trying to find other distributors and they say, I don't know, sorry for my French, I don't know where to go. I'm gonna go to Amazon and buy it in bulk on Amazon. Sure. That's where we come in. Solo uh, cups, random okay. stuff like that. Right. Stuff, stuff that they would normally go directly to a restaurant supplier. Sure. And now they're going on Amazon to buy it. And there's a lot of other cases that are like that. That's just one small example. Right. Uh, we've seen a lot in the hospitality industry as of recently. Uh, food always does well. A lot of our, our clients, we were able to ungate them on certain categories. We actually have boots on the ground too that gets that we get people to find liquidated items throughout the Dallas, Texas area, literally in brick and mortar stores too. So we found specialized items and we ungate categories. And gating is essentially when you become a new seller on Amazon, you can't just automatically sell food. You can't just automatically sell certain baby products you're just amazon just doesn't trust you yet essentially right and they want and they want to make sure that you're a legitimate wholesaler and seller and there's ways around that to become ungated and us being a wholesale distributor we can sort of accelerate that process for clients and so we organically will ungate certain product categories and also brand name products brands as well not just categories for clients that a lot of just sellers out there realize that they just can't they realize they can't sell that and they don't even know what ungating even really means or how to do that and so that's another thing that we bring to the table here is we'll go find X this, and I don't want to give all these brands out, but a certain brand and it sells, it's got crazy, crazy margins because no one else can sell it on Amazon because uh, everyone's restricted. Right. We get our clients unrestricted to sell it. Then you look at it and something that you would think would have a thousand competitors only has five. Gotcha. There's, which is a huge benefit as well. So there's all these little t- tips and tricks and little ways to go around certain loop. I don't even call them loopholes. They're just, yeah. we just know the system and having right. the, having it built the way that we have it built, these kind of benefits and these layers we can peel back. And again, it accelerates you past the line in terms of competitors. No, that that's awesome. For companies that may have like private brand products, like we sell, I, we say we have Shopify as our big store, yeah. but we, we do sell on Amazon too. But they're all private yeah. product we, products that we manufacture right here in Ohio yeah. and things yeah. like that. So, I mean, is that apply to what you guys are doing or is it mostly all brand products then that you're helping people do? Yeah, so our... Private, private labeling essentially is what you're doing. That's, that's a very important aspect of a long-term Amazon play. No okay. What. So that is an add-on. It's not part of our base program. We gotcha. have our own exclusive private label team. We have manufacturers within the U.S. and abroad. And so for complex clients and clients understand the value in that, some of them have to be with us for six to nine months to know the value of private label. And then they want to add mm. it on. I like to do the comparables of like, you buy real estate, you have an Airbnb. How are you going to raise your rates? You throw a hot tub in there, right? You throw a private label product in there. You build out a brand on your business. It increases the value of your business. It values it over time. And when you want to sell it, it's way more sellable because you have that uniqueness um, and the proprietary kind of product that's built into that business. And so we build everything initially on, it's an arbitrage wholesale model. So wholesaling is the base of all of our programs. Right. Because wholesale contracts are exclusive as well and they hold value in and of themselves. So not everyone can just go to a wholesaler and buy from them. You know, that's that, that exclusivity has its own value. If you were, I keep talking about selling your store, but my point is all these things are part of just increasing the appreciation value of your actual business. And so it's based around wholesale. But when we get to the next level on a business, a lot of clients will start, clients with deeper pockets will start a private label as well. But that's sort of the next tier of where we go with clients' businesses is we'll build out a brand category for them. 
We'll find that product. Let's say it's in the kitchen or let's say it's, you know, cleaning house supplies, house combware, whatever it may be. We get that product that's moving and grooving and it's doing well. And then we can expand on that product line. And we do have relationships with manufacturers. I'd say 80% is abroad. We do have some in the U.S. It's a lot more expensive. And so those products are harder to come by. And again, you have to have deeper pockets, uh, depending upon what it actually is. Um, and yeah, so that's, that is part of what we do. On top of that, and this is something that we're looking at down the line, it's potentially moving into the supplement side of things. Very saturated industry, but also I have uh, my business partner and I have our own. We have four different supplement businesses on Amazon that are very, very successful. And we found ways to sort of, you know, build relationships through the last few years with different manufacturers. And we're looking at ways to incorporate that into higher tier mm. clients as another add-on. And so we're constantly looking at ways to sort of innovate and not really just spin the same wheel we were the week before. Because you right. have to, as you well are well aware, like you have to do that in this industry. It's moving so fast. And even with the data that I just told you about how we can decrease competition, it's that that's there, but you still want to be proactive in terms of what's next and how to approach the next offering for our clients and how to, you know, bring value to their business down the line, you know, because who knows what's around the corner with Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you never know, man. You never know. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we got a couple minutes left. Um, what's uh, maybe a couple tips or ideas, uh, maybe something um, I know you mentioned um, the gate, ungating and things like that. Some ideas that people might not know about that'll help them rank better on Amazon or sell more on Amazon or stuff that you guys have found through all the different companies you're working with and all your data and everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a fully loaded question. <laughs> I, I, I would say, you know, I, big part of a big part of being successful on the platform, you know, at the end of the day, people want to keep growing, right? If you're complacent sure. with where you're at, this might not be applicable to you. And this is yeah. no way of me trying to sell our service. Don't have to go in the automation company, but who you're picking and how you're actually distributing your products in terms of if you're just doing, I think diversity within your actual uh, store is extremely important. So mm. What are your strategies? Like I just mentioned, we do a hybrid model of wholesaling with private labeling, with a little bit of arbitrage here with FBM and FBA, especially with FBA having, you know, the rates going up and the economy right now, FBA is still a great play, but there are decrease in subscriptions because they cost, it costs money, right? Yep. So make sure that you are incorporating FBM and FBA together and you're incorporating multiple different forms. You want to mitigate risk. Right. If sure. wholesalers run out of out of out of their product, you want to make sure you have something else you're selling as well that you can pump money into. So capital allocation in your store is extremely important. Just make sure you have diversity. I think it's very sort of a bland response, but like diversity within within your actual store, how you do fulfillment, how you source products, who you're leveraging, all that kind of stuff is extremely important. And that's just to mitigate risk. And I think it's that's super, super you have to be really cognizant of that, especially in this day and age with Again, last year, wholesalers ran out. They have 3% more products this time. Who knows what's going on with supply chain? Who knows what's next in China? Like, you don't know what's around the corner. So being risk averse means being having diversity within how you're actually sourcing products and how you're playing the game on your store. Yeah, definitely. That's that's for sure. Guys, I hope you guys are really listening to what Will's been talking about through your e-commerce store. Um, if you're on Amazon, as many of you are, and then what, some different ways that you can start to apply the tips and strategies that he's been talking about to improve your Amazon rankings, your listings, growth, um, some different product ideas on kind of what to look for and, you know, and, and what the marketplace is looking for. 
and you know start to figure out what that is and then start to apply what you're doing. So go back, rewind, listen, watch this again, take those notes, and then start to implement what some of these different um, ideas uh, Will's been speaking about. Um, we got a minute or so left, Will. What's something you're like, oh man, I really got to share this, or Josh, I was hoping he was going to ask me this question. I really want to share with the audience before we wrap up today. Uh, I mean, no, I think we, we just, we put a lot in in the last, I don't know, was that 20, 20, 30 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> um, we covered a lot, but I, you know, I know we didn't talk about Walmart and I know a lot of these sellers sure. are probably, you know, they're probably well aware of what Walmart went through last year and, and how disorganized Walmart is in general, but it is still a massive opportunity if you do it right. They're still figuring out their WFS. They're still figuring out a lot of, a lot of stuff, but get in to Walmart still, maybe slow play it but do not forget about it. It's like your crypto play. It's definitely yeah. high risk right now because their tech platform, they don't have really have their operations together, but the opportunity is there and they have brick and mortar advertising all around. I think they got impacted so much by the, um, by the, uh, the pandemic because the lady who used to drive by Walmart with the kids after school or is just drive not. into Walmart is not, now she's used to buying yeah. online. So there are, there are loyalists and there's a lot of growth ahead there and, and definitely don't forget about it. Awesome. Where can people get more information on what you guys got going on, connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So www.ascendecom.com. That's A-S-C-E-N-D-E-C-O-M.com. Uh, you can book a call with us education-wise, uh, learn about how we do things a lot on our website as well. And then our social channels, uh, Instagram is probably the most frequently posted um, pretty much every single day. That's at ascend underscore ecom, so A S C E N D underscore E C O M. Um, you can find us there in our YouTube channel, etc. And we're posting all the time. A lot of it's educational stuff, what we're doing with the company, releases, and stuff like that. So you can catch us there. Awesome. And we got all the social links down uh, down below, guys, and uh, website and everything, so you guys can go check out what Will and his team's doing and uh, see if it's a good fit for you or not. Well, thanks for again coming on Making Bank today. Such an honor to have you and grab some amazing insights and really appreciate you jumping on after crazy yeah. travels and <laughs> trying yeah. to get over here as quick as possible. Oh, good. I'm, I'm happy I actually made it before you. So. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. <laughs> no, it's, been, it's been a pleasure, Josh. Honestly, thanks for having me. Um, hope we can do it again in the future. For sure. I am Josh Felbert. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.